A while back, we took the kids to the embassy to see the movie Harry Potter played with the Fort Wayne Philharmonic playing that wonderful John Williams soundtrack. It was really, really a fun experience. And if you haven't ever seen or heard a, a live performance of a symphony, it's really a beautiful, beautiful thing to experience. And there's an interesting thing I, I, I find fascinating. Sometimes you hear it even on music tracks, CDs and that kind of thing, of a, a symphony before they start tuning. You hear the violins and the cello just moving through and, you know, maybe someone is, is adjusting, a little French horn goes through their solo for a minute, whatever. There, there's just a little making sure everything is in place. And then there's a tap tap from the conductor's baton and everything goes silent. And then what was a cacophony of different sounds as everyone was tuning and making these different adjustments becomes this beautiful symphony, this harmony, this accord, not a corn, but a chord, as, as the, the different instruments have been adjusted and are playing perfectly their parts. Paul uses a word in 1 Corinthians 1.10 when he says to be united in mind and in judgment with the same mind and judgment. That word united, it has to do with uh, perfecting, equipping, adjusting, adjusting yourself to harmonize with others. Adjusting, arranging, fixing, preparing yourself for accord. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. There is a tuning of ourselves that we need to have in order to have harmony with one another. At the end of this wonderful book that several of our adult classes are studying right now, Romans, we read this passage in Romans 15, verses 5 to 7. I think building to a crescendo of what the whole book has been about. He says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The version Josh read said, accept one another. Accept. Acceptance of each other is a reflection of what Christ has done to accept us. To have such harmony, such accord with Christ Jesus and with one another that we can glorify him with one voice. Of course, he's not talking about our worship music. Talking about our lives. Talking about the harmony of a church's everyday life. That's the kind of harmony we are to have. And so we want to talk this morning about church harmony, about the hard work of maintaining our unity in Christ. And I think we can sell ourselves short if we don't acknowledge it is hard to have harmony. It is not it's not easy. We can cheapen it. We can, we can not do ourselves any favors 
as we prepare for the work that it's going to take to work things out and to, to disagree sometimes on some opinions and to make sense of how we're going to value each other, even if we don't see everything eye to eye. How we're going to work through whenever someone says something the wrong way to you or lets you down in some way. How do we create harmony from this group of hundred some different people? My dad would look at this picture and say, that must be hippie narcotic music. <laughs> This is a picture of Crosby, Stills, and Nash. And growing up again, singing hymns, acapella hymns, growing up in Churches of Christ, I came to love harmonies, love listening to them, singing them. And whenever, if you're familiar with the music of Crosby, Stills, and Nash, whenever you listen to them singing Helplessly Hoping or one of their beautiful songs, you start to hear these three voices sound like distinct voices harmonizing, so much so, though, that they, they sound like one, one voice. And there's so many, a lot of times families can sound that, you know, the Everly Brothers or the Andrews Sisters. And you listen to people, and it's like, this, it's like the one voice, but it's better than one voice because then they'd be unison. It's actually this harmony of different tones coming together in something better than the sum of its parts. And that is not easy to do. There's a lot of things that can go wrong in trying to harmonize music. Even if you are the same person, you can have things go wrong and, and have disaccord. <laughs> I know Michael, I think, hates it when I bring up this you know, <laughs> acapella stuff. My, uh, my son loves, loves Michael's videos and stuff. And he used to always ask him, but which one is you? <laughs> And Michael would say, always, it's the one on the left. <laughs> but even if you're the same person and you're recording at different times, there's a lot of things that could go wrong to create. Like Michael could not harmonize with himself. If, if he, for instance, sang in a different pitch with himself or from differing sheet music. Or let the guy on the left and the guy on the right sing at different paces and they're not, they're not in sync with each other. Well, we can do the same thing if we try to sing in a different pitch or from differing sheet music or all of us try to set the pace. So I'm going to address this. May God grant you to live in such harmony. It's interesting here, if you, if you notice... This is such a difficult thing to do, to live in such harmony, that he actually says, this is what you have the scriptures for. And this is what you need to be praying for. May God, through the endurance, through the encouragement of the scriptures, have this common hope that God would give you endurance and encouragement to live in such harmony. This whole thing is about unity. Since chapter 12, really, he's been talking about it at 13. Love, owe no man anything except to love one another. Love fulfills the law. Chapter 12, verse 9, love must be sincere. 
contribute to the needs of one another. Be at peace with one another, chapter 12 says. Chapter 14, welcome one another. Receive one another. Don't quarrel about things. And chapter 15 starts to build to this, this crescendo. And he says, may God give you the ability to live in such harmony. May the scriptures give you that strength. May the example of Jesus give you that ability. I think it's easy to look at the book of Romans and to think of it as the first 11 chapters, huge theological treaties that that Paul is diving into. And then you get to chapter 12 to 16 and it's like, oh, and then he sort of made a few applications at the end. Just threw those in there. And you can actually get so weary, I think, from teaching or studying all of these huge ideas. Not that, they're, not that they're not interesting and important and inspiring, but it's heavy. And you get into all these big ideas and then you get to the end and you're so fatigued by all of this stuff about works and faith and grace and spirit and flesh and law and justification and the Israel and all of these big ideas. It's like, okay, and then, and then he said something, you know, make sure you're living sacrifice, receive one another, love, 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 and move on. But that is not what is happening here. <laughs> it's the other way around. The ideas in chapters 1 to 11 are the setup for what he delivers in chapter 12 to 16. It doesn't mean they're less important or either one is more important. It's that they go together. Do you see what I'm saying? That, that all of this at the beginning about the gospel is meant to help us to understand what kind of a community, what kind of a family the gospel creates. If you want to understand what's the point of any of Paul's letters, any, any letter, any book, you try to understand what's the situation, what's the context he's speaking into. What is his concern with these people that he's writing to? And we get to this very specific concern in chapters 14 and 15. The weak and the strong. The Gentiles and the Jews. And you can, if you're paying attention, see every move he makes in outlining his gospel he preaches. Is to help understand the unity that Christ has given everything to create. And how cheaply God's people sometimes treat that unity. How how cheaply we could treat the unity that Jesus died to create. Tearing down that wall and making one. Bringing all things together into himself. May, May we never do that. May we learn from Christ to fight, not against one another, but against division. To fight against the kind of backbiting and destructiveness that that often throughout all of the epistles, but throughout throughout many churches today can happen. Uh, You may have heard, surely you know of, if you've been around for a while, churches that sound more like that cacophony of tuning and all the different sounds that are going on than the symphony that comes afterwards. And what Paul is trying to show us is that the gospel creates a certain kind of people. And 
if we are letting the gospel turn us into people that tear each other apart, we are doing it wrong. We missed it. Read it again. Read it again. This is about Jesus Christ bringing all things to himself. And some people won't accept the gospel, and that's okay. We'll, we'll keep speaking that same gospel. If they don't accept it, they don't accept it. But among God's people, we must be a people that lets love guide everything and lets this message of victorious, sacrificial love unify us. We just sang this song, we're marching to Zion. And you may have noticed, well, what is the deal with song leaders sometimes blowing a pitch on a pitch pipe or on their phone, and then they do this thing with all these weird nonsensical sounds. Do, me, so, what's going on with this stuff? Well, up here in the corner, you can see the, the, the key signature, the key the song's written in is G. And so that's do. And so that's why they'll start a lot of times, uh, song leaders, this is what I was trained to do. You start with do, and then you go to whatever note it starts on. In this case, it starts on do, the, the soprano line does. It might go to me or so, but from that do, from that key signature, the signature key gives everyone else, if they're paying attention, what their keys are. And in fact, the whole song, all the sh flats and sharps and everything from it comes from this this signature key. It lets us know how to, to pitch ourselves and how to stay in accord. And you notice this, this song was written by Isaac Watts, by Robert Lowry. This, Michael didn't write this song. I didn't write this song. But we can get up and we can lead the song. But we're reading from something that was written ahead of time, and we're trying to align ourselves to what was written. And if we all do that, then we can sing in harmony. Love is a Christian's signature key. That's what we see happening throughout this, this section. Paul doesn't put it this way. I'm using a metaphor here. But, but love fulfills the law, he says in chapter 13. Love is what unifies all of God's people and helps us to get, get over ourselves and get past some of the stuff that, that gets in the way. We see each other and we're able to hear each other. And we're able to invest in each other and we're able to invest in a relationship even when it's hard. Even with difficult people like me, you can, you can find a way to have a relationship and really build something that can see us through all of, the, all of the ups and downs and difficulties that are going to come. Love sets the tone. Love is the tone of voice, the tone of activity, the tone of mind that we have. And not just towards each other, towards the Lord, towards everyone. When love sets the tone, when we learn from the gospel what love is, and let, as chapter 5, verse 5 says, let God's love be poured into our hearts, then we can, we can hear 
where we need to be, what our pitch needs to be in order to create harmony. But here's something that happens, and, and I have a time seeing it here. particular Christians can become tone deaf. Tone deaf to love. To what's important. To what our core, core fundamental marching orders can be. What is most important? What defines a mature Christian? And it's easy to think, well, knowledge is the answer. They are mo the most knowledgeable people. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 1, knowledge does what? Knowledge blows up the balloon. Knowledge puffs up. But love builds the building, builds the temple, builds the person. We are builders from our love. It doesn't, he's not saying knowledge isn't useful, isn't important. He's, he's not saying forget all knowledge. He's saying don't rest your laurels on knowledge. Don't let that be your foundation. Because just because you know something and somebody else doesn't know it, that does not give you a superiority. In fact, the more mature you are, here's how you know, the more you start to put others First, and you live not to please yourself, as he says in 15 verse 2, but to please others, to, to serve others. Not meaning being a people pleaser, but meaning putting their needs and what's going to edify them ahead of ourselves. And here's where he says that, verses 1 and 2. We who are strong have an obligation, and he gives two instructions, bear with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Bear with. Might sound bad to say, to put, it, put up with it, but you're, you're making space for other people not to understand everything, not to have all the answers, not to have their life completely, perfectly all lined up yet. It doesn't mean that we excuse sin and we say, ah, it's no big deal. It doesn't mean that we um, don't ever talk about these things. But it, it does mean we make space to receive and accept one another. Bear with the failings of the weak and then not to make it about us, not to please ourselves, not to make it about what I like. And what I grew up hearing about and what I, you know, see, the context of the whole book of Romans is a group of people who grew up understanding that they were the elect chosen people of God because they have the Torah. Because they eat only kosher foods and they observe the Sabbath and they are circumcised. This is that we are, by blood and by the Torah, by the law, we are God's people. And we have the Bible on our side. We can look back to the Old Testament and show this is what you're supposed to do. And this other group of people who have more, many of them, more privilege as maybe Roman citizens in Rome, who are maybe more powerful, some of them, these Gentiles, but who also have this sense of, of 
liberty and freedom about them that you know we don't have to follow all those old laws and and maybe they were starting to take it even beyond that as he addresses in chapter 6 this idea of you know shall we sin that grace may abound do we have freedom from from all things and so there's these two groups with totally different backgrounds a totally different sense of entitlement one their entitlement that comes from their knowledge of liberty and maybe some of their status and another who have this sense of entitlement and identity that comes from their heritage and from the law and paul is trying to say you guys have to make room for each other you don't you don't split over this you don't go you go to your house church and i'll go to my house church across the way no you need to have fellowship you need to accept one another you need to make room for each other and you need to put each other's situation and opinions ahead of your own so that look gentile as as free as you are if you're with a jew who only eats vegetables you know who who doesn't feel like he can find any kosher foods in the marketplace you're having salad tonight just make it like that. And, and nobody should be disdaining. He uses this word, looking down on, disdaining one another. He closes with this idea, therefore, welcome one another. Receive one another. Accept one another. Look to one another as siblings. A revolutionary idea, maybe one of the most revolutionary things that happened in Christianity, the unity of these two groups. It was hard fought. The whole New Testament is about this, this journey to unity. Because as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. So again, same thing he just said, welcome one another. Welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. I think sometimes we're like, um, you know, there's an old story, old, old idea about the woman who says, yeah, I love you. I want to marry you. And then thinks they're going to change everything about that person once they're married. I want to marry you. I, I love who you are. Or who I think I can make you into. Maybe we can do that with each other. I, I receive you as long as I'm on this process of tweaking you into my image, as long as I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you there one day, you're going to see everything exactly as I see it. As I like to joke, I said in the class today, I don't even agree with myself six months ago. Like on some things, it is hard to think we're going to come to this ideal of perfect agreement on every single thing ever that ever existed that's a that's an ideal it's something we pursue we're not like saying oh well it doesn't matter let's not even worry about it no we want to understand the word of god and if we understand it rightly then we can understand it alike but that's an ideal we're pursuing and we're constantly at different levels of growth and we're all trying to get there but the the idea of of having that guide is important it might seem like maybe if if we just said we're going to agree to disagree on everything and 
just have like a different kind of perfect unity, that that would make it easier. But actually, <laughs> that would throw out all the, I would take our legs out from under us. The whole foundation of our unity is the love we learn from the conviction we have that Jesus died for us. And that he rose again victoriously. That these things were taught, these commandments to be forgiving and to be patient and to, to have unity in the faith. And there is one faith and we have so much in common in our one hope and we serve one Lord. All of these things give us the foundation for our unity. Imagine if we were all singing out of different hymnals. Sometimes we'll do it with, you know, like we're at somebody's at Tabitha's house or something, and we all have, we don't have enough of the blue books, so we've got eight blue books and nine sacred selections and a few songs of the church and psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And everybody's like, I think Marching to Zion is in here on all of these books. And then we'll start singing, and wait a minute, somebody started singing the fourth verse, but I don't have a fourth verse. But imagine, even, even further gone, if, if somebody said, turn to page 36, and there were six different hymnals, and we all started singing, Amazing Grace, Alleluia, March of Zion, everybody's singing a different song. There is no unity there. Our unity might not be perfect, as we're trying to sing with our imperfect voices the same song. But we're, cl we're close. We're closer. We have hope of finding a, uh, a foundation for our unity because we're singing from the same hymnal. He talks about this in verses 3 and 4. Here's the foundation. Here's your standard. We have the same standard. It's two things. It's Jesus Christ, his example, and it's the scriptures. Verse 3 says, For Christ, we welcome each other and don't please ourselves because Christ didn't please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. He's drawing from a psalm that's all about this idea of, of Israel being rejected and the one who is rejected. And then he goes on to say, through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The scriptures are written so that, he says, we can, written for our encouragement, so that we can have instruction and encouragement and endurance, because this is not going to be easy. And then he makes this prayer. And it's interesting, he renames God. He doesn't really rename him, but this is what Paul likes to do. When he wants to emphasize a particular aspect of God's character, he doesn't just say Yahweh. He says, may the God of peace, in Philippians 4, 9, give you peace, because he's just talked about peace of passes understanding. Here he calls God the God of endurance and encouragement. Why? Because we know the source of the stick to the earnestness and commitment and encouragement and inspiration we're going to need to unite and keep going in hope is going to come from God. That's our source. He grants you to live in such harmony. And finally, we need to stay in step. The scriptures 
are a guide for us, but they, they don't tell us every single detail on every single thing. There is no 9.30 Bible class, 10.30 worship assembly passage. There's no book, chapter, and verse for that. So how do we decide when we're going to get together? Well, we have leaders. The Lord gave us, equipped us, Ephesians 4, 11 to 12, with leaders to help us. And if we're to have unity, we need to line up with the things that the leaders decide on all those judgment calls, on all those matters of discretion and discernment that they, they are making calls for us. We said earlier, now there's some great songs that Michael did write, but he didn't write We're Marching to Zion. So what gives him the right to tell us this is how fast that we're going to sing it? Why is, why is he so special that he gets to it's to determine that. Maybe I like to sing it quiet and slow. Well, if we don't have someone leading us, then we're going to have probably a lot of people with different views doing it different ways. The point of somebody up here beating time is to get us all on the same page. Not about who it is. It's about having leadership. And God has given the qualifications, and the directives for us to have leaders. And in Hebrews 13 and verse 17, we're told, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Literally, this word for obey was used earlier in the book of Hebrews for trusting or believing, putting, putting some, uh, some confidence in things putting confidence in your leaders, and submit to them. This literally means to surrender or to give up the head chair. Let them have the head chair where they're determining what's happening. They're hosting the party and saying, here's what's going to, going to happen as overseers. And so we have Nolan and we have Rick, who do the very hard work of making decision after decision and thinking through, looking at, at what is going to build up this body and what is the needs of this person that you don't even know what their situation is and how we decide things often comes down to their calls. And if we want to have unity, he says, obey them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. It doesn't help you at all for you to be, for us to have a hundred different squeaky wheels. Just, and they're stressed out and they're, like, get me, get me away from, the, like Moses, get me away from this people, right, in Israel. That's no good for Israel and that's no good for us. What we need to do is follow, follow the leader as they're beating out time and we'll find that we can sing in harmony. The basis of all of this, as I said, the buildup of the whole book has been then welcome one another application, thing that we do as Christ has welcomed you. And the first 11 chapters has told us how Christ has welcomed us, has given everything to bring us into the acceptance and fellowship of the Father.